Well, good morning, and thanks for joining us again. If you're joining us online, thanks for doing that. If you've heard of the Iditarod, it is a race across Alaska with dog sleds and mushers and all kinds of people. And the idea is to be the first one to finish. It's a big sporting event in Alaska. But do you know the Iditarod did not start as a sporting event? In 1925, there was an outbreak of diphtheria in the city of Nome, Alaska. And there was 300,000 units of serum that needed to get to Nome. And there was a time crisis. So they trained it from Anchorage to Nina. I think I'm pronouncing the name of that city right. But then they had to move it by a sled. And time was of the essence. They did it 127 hours. They basically ran a relay. Uh, that's still a record for that course. But in order to memorialize that over the year, they, they ran the Iditarod race. And was, what was once a rescue mission, oh, it's now a sporting event. You know, when Jesus started the church, he put it in place as a rescue mission. Church, you will be my hands and feet in reaching the world. I wonder if like the Iditarod, we step down from that. We've become a cultural event, uh, something we do every week. Have we forgotten what Jesus' purpose for the church originally was? And that's what I want us to think about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 11, we're going to go through verse 20, and we're going to wrestle with this question, what is Jesus' mission for us? What's Jesus' mission for us? Now, if you've been with us, you know we've been looking at the book of Revelation. We're going to take a break this week because we want to talk about an opportunity uh, that we have to partner in, in, in fulfilling Jesus' mission for us. But there is a stream that runs through every book in the Old Testament and New Testament, a string that ties them together, and I think we're going to see that here. So where we are, we are at uh, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, that has concerned uh, the Jewish and Roman authorities. In, in, it, in fact, it concerned them so much that before or after Jesus was put in the tomb, the Jewish leaders went to the Roman authorities and said, hey, 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 you know, their people were talking about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Now, we know that's bogus, but just so we don't get some kind of false rumor or something going here, would you give us a guard to post by the tomb so we could secure that thing so they're not going to be able to point, steal the body and point to it. Well, that's what they did. So Jesus was certified dead on the cross. They stuck a spear in his side and the water and the, the fluid split. He's dead. They embalmed him. They put him in the tomb. They rolled this multi-ton rock over it. They seal it with a Roman seal, which you don't break under the authority of the threat of death. And then they put a guard in front of it thinking they could hold him in. But guess what? They didn't. And he came out. And so that is where we are when we pick it up in verse 11. It says, now they, now this is Jesus' followers, were on their way. While they were on their way, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And this should come to the governor's ears. We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to, to this day. 
Can you guys think about the leadership there, the chief priests? They do everything they can to secure the tomb. And the Roman guard says, let me tell you what happened. We were there on post. and This thing blows out, and here he comes. Don't you think that'd be, the Jewish leadership might say, you know, we've been fighting this thing. This thing is legit. Uh, we, we just need to submit to it. But that's not what they do. We're going to try and discredit this. We're going to try and, and, and we're going to lie about it. Well, as we've been in the book of Revelation, we said the church is under pressure from the Roman government because 60 years after Jesus' resurrection, the, the, the Romans, they wanted to be worshipped as deity. And there were seven cities in, in, um, that are being addressed in Revelation. Six of them have been given temples specifically to worship, worship the government. Five had subsidized priesthoods. What? Subsidized to what? To lead people in worshiping government. How far does this opposition go back? It goes back to the very beginning of the church. And what we'll find out as we go through Revelation is behind this government opposition is Satan himself. This is part of a spiritual battle. And so, so the, these, these threads are tying in. And yes, there is opposition to the church. There is opposition to the name of God. But Jesus says, after he resurrects the church... You're going to be my vehicle. You're going to be through whom I work to take my message forward. And the ga gates of hell are not going to prevail against that. So, so that's the context we're in. And so there's this rumor that Jesus was stolen, but these disciples and others have seen him, so they know that's wrong. So in verse 11 it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Gentile to the mountain where Jesus had, de had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But catch this, some were doubtful. So there's a lot of people who are convinced. They are sold on this thing that Jesus is who he said he is. And, and some people are saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I, I'm, in, I'm in process. You know, maybe you're here and you're in process. And you're, you're on a journey and you're kind of thinking that through, thing through. We want to give you space. We want to give you a place to consider that. But many of Jesus' followers were convinced, and Jesus himself was convinced who he was. And so this is what he says in verse 18. He says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, why would Jesus say that? Because, man, he was certified that he was entombed, he was put by a thing, and he, boom, he came back. He has authority over everything, everywhere, every place, every being in the heavens and on earth. And that's what gives us hope as we go on a mission. It's not our... It's not our resources, it's not our intelligence, it's not our craftiness, it's because we are one who, sent, who is being sent with saying, I'm sending you with all authority. All right, so, 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 so what do you want us to do as we're going? Well, thank you for asking. Verse 19 will say that. It's, Go therefore and make disciples. Now that's the main verb here. I want you to be making disciples. As you're doing that, you're going to be going. Uh, you're going to make disciples of all nations, and you're going to baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bapti baptism is the first act of obedience for a follower of Jesus, and it's a means of identification. I am identifying myself with Jesus. So I want you to baptize those who begin to follow me that they might publicly identify. And 
teaching them, I'm in verse 20, to observe all that I command you. And lo, here's the promise, I'm with you always. That's our bet as we go. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You're going to be teaching them. Teaching them what? Teaching them to obey. So here's the deal. The New Testament can't picture or imagine someone who is a a disciple who has not been baptized, identified with Jesus, and is not in the process of being taught to do what? To obey. Their, Their discipleship is being fleshed out in their obedience. So we said, we don't want to be like the Iditarod, which was once a rescue mission and now kind of a sporting event. We don't, we don't want to be a cultural event. Well, well, what are we doing? We're remembering. We're, we're rethinking about the mission Jesus has for the church. And here it is. What's Jesus' mission for us? He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to make disciples. Now, I want to suggest to you that disciple-making is a broad process. We talk to you about influ- being an influence in your community. Maybe you work in your neighborhood, uh, sharing your story with those people, maybe inviting them to church, maybe sitting down and saying, can I study the gospel of John with you? I, I want to say to you, that is, that is part of the discipleship process. First thing a person needs to do is to be a disciple is to be born again, to be converted. But that's not the end of the process. That's the beginning of it. It starts it. Then we want them to identify, be baptized with Jesus. Then we want them to begin to obey. We're going to teach them what Jesus said and, and the empowering he has that they might follow him. In their obedience. They, may, they be, might be recognized as being different as a disciple of Jesus. They're in submission to Him. So the task of making disciples, it's not just for all the, oh, the pastors do that. No, 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 no. Yeah, the pastors do that, but that's not everybody. Oh, it's the missionaries. That's why we have missionaries. No, 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 no. No, that is our task. Individually and corporately, that is our task. So if you're a parent, from God's perspective, your number one task is to What are you doing to make disciples of your kids? If you're a grandparent with your grandkids, what are you doing to disciple your kids? What? To be baptized, to identify with Jesus, and to follow him. You're in the workplace, and and you're connecting with people. You're telling your story, finding out where they are. If they're not a believer, you're praying and trusting that they'll be one to Christ. If they're not, and they're not connected to a church, you're inviting them in. We are wrestling with that as a staff. How do we better make disciples? We've been thinking about that for six months. And some of the things, we're, we're doing a renewed focus on, on small groups, on, on community. That's, yeah, we want to connect, absolutely. But connect with a purpose, what? To encourage one another, what? To obey Jesus, all his teachings. We've done some classes, and that's so that people might better know the foundations of the class, and, and then what it is to build community, and what that looks like, and what does a family look like, and then this is all pointing towards making disciples. And that's everybody's task. Before I hired on at um, Lincoln Brian as a singles pastor and then eventually ended up being part of the team that planted this, I was at a small a church in Sierra Vista, Arizona, about 30 miles from the border south of Tucson. And it was, it was a, a struggling church, a dying church. And, and there was a bunch of them in the Southwest Conservative CBA, Conservative Baptist Association. And we would have these monthly or bi-monthly meetings, and, and one of them, it was the, the guy that was in charge of church revitalization was speaking to us, and there were a bunch of them, and the, as the denomination assessed it, they said, we have millions of dollars in assets in terms of building and property, we just can't walk away with it, how do we do this? And so he was in charge of revitalizing churches, and so he would go in and he would meet with the leadership, the elders, whoever, 
do an assessment. And, and he said, one of the questions I'd ask the church is, in your own view, what is, what is your strength as a church? And he said, I always got nervous when I got this answer. Well, our strength is missions. Because you know what that's saying? You write a check to the missionary, but you're not involved in the mission. So I want to be clear that we're to be in, because we're going to talk about partnering. But that starts with us. We own this conviction. This is our partnership. This is our task. We are involved with making disciples. Starting here in Lincoln, but then going around the world. Jesus talked about that. I want you to make disciples of all nations, verse 19. Let me just reemphasize that. In the Great Commission, again, Jesus gives right before he ascends in Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Here's what it says. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Everybody wants to know, Jesus, when are you coming back? Here's what Jesus says, verse 7. It's not for you to know periods of time or appointed time which the Father has set by his own authority. But here's what you're about. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that's Acts 2, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, locally, and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. I want you to be making disciples. Again, that starts with being my witness and then moving people to identify and teach. I want you to do it everywhere, and it moves out even to the remotest part of the world. So we're talking about what's our mission individually and corporately as a church. We're to be making disciples around the world. And because of digital stuff, we can be involved around the world. We don't even have to, it's like we just send, but, but we can be involved in that. You know, as a church, we say our mission is to be Christ in the community. I, that fits under the discipleship process. We want to be exemplifying Christ, that people might be drawn to Him. But we don't want them just to be drawn, we want them to grow. We want them to be baptized, and we want to teach them to obey what Jesus has done. As a church that wants to be making disciples, we are partnering with people who are doing this work uh, fuller time. And I want to just tell you about them. That there's a poster back here in the back wall outside the sanctuary if you want to look at it. But we, we partner with the Drouds, Rodney and Lori Droud. Rodney works with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the Northside Schools. So he'll be, he's at Northeast, North Star, and Lincoln High right now, and Northwest when it's open. He's working with coaches there to better equip them and train them to make disciples of the the students that are on their teams. We, we partner with Scott and Diane Mathis. We're part of the Berean Fellowship of Churches as the network of churches. Uh, many of them are smaller churches, and I was, I was a small church pastor, one solo pastor. That's a tough gig. Um, and Scott and Di, every weekend, are at a church encouraging and equipping those pastors and their leadership team to make disciples. We partner with Bill and Missy Kohler. Bill and Missy helped us start the church back in 2004, 2005, they moved away in 2012. They work with crew, uh, and they are reaching students both digitally and in person. And just so you know, Bill continues to have an influence in this church. When he was here, he critiqued my sermons. I said, will you continue doing that? He has not missed a sermon in 10 years. Email. He has, he has ideas, and I promise you I incorporate at least one of Bill Kohler's ideas, at least one, every sermon. So they are still involved with us. We partner with Dave and Stacy Winner. Dave and Stacy came with us when we launched from Lincoln Berean. Dave taught our, our uh, upper elementary class until they went to Haiti three or four years ago. Stacy was our administrative assistant. So they've gone out from us, ministering compassion and love and evangelizing down in, in uh, Haiti. Finally, um, we partnered with the Shires, and they were a part of us and went out. And I'm not going to tell you because this is live stream. You can look on the uh, 
poster back there, they minister in a very sensitive area, a place that's close to the gospel. And so they've asked that we not put it out on the web, but, but we're partnering with them and praying for them. And today, uh, we want to talk about partnering with another organization. It's called Hope Venture. You'll hear more about them. And we specifically want to talk about partnering with them to reach a village in Turkana, which is in Kenya. Let me tell you about, a little bit about the Hope Venture, and they're going to tell you more. But they're about this, bringing hope and dignity to the disadvantaged of the world. And I would argue that the disciple-making process and the proclamation of the gospel, caring for the poor, goes hand-in-hand with that. Why do you say that? The Apostle Paul, after he was converted, was set aside by God to reach the Gentiles. And going to the Gentiles was a big deal. The Jews were not on board with this, and God had to convince them. They thought the Gentiles were fuels for the fire of hell. But these Jewish converts, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, God made it clear. And so Paul is recounting to the Galatians how it happened. He said, I was in Jerusalem, and I was with Peter, James, and John, three of the disciples, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and they commissioned me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship to go to the Gentiles. That's a big deal. He said, but they only asked me to remember one thing. They asked me to remember the poor. And Paul's comment was the very thing I was eager to do. So you can read about it in the book of Acts. Paul goes on three different missionary trips, and there's plant, churches planted all over the Mediterranean in Turkey and different places. And, and then he writes letters back, and that, that's much of our New Testament. Well, he wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote two letters. But in the second one, in chapters 8 and 9, he's saying, hey, you know, there was a big-time famine, and it's affected the believers in Jerusalem. And the churches at Macedonia and Achaia, I mean, they have given beyond their means to try and meet the physical needs. And you guys, you made a commitment, and I just ask you to follow through on it because there are physical needs right now in Jerusalem, and we want to partner in meeting those. See, caring for the poor, caring for the needy, incarnates Christ. It manifests Him. Evolution says what? You let, you let the, the weak die, right? That's evolution. The strong live. Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. Those people were created in my image. And from the get-go, God has said, I care about the vulnerable. He told Israel, you watch out for the vulnerable. And part of their judgment was they took advantage of the vulnerable. Well, that carried through with Jesus. You care for the weak. You care for the needy because it's my character. That shows Jesus is real, draws people, and be, draws them into the discipleship process. So we want to partner with um, Hope Venture in making disciples in um, Turkana, Kenya. And uh, Logan and Cincy and a couple others are going to tell you about it. Landon, not yet, not yet, not yet. Landon, I got his name wrong. Landon um, will tell you about it. But we, I didn't mention this the first time. We may well have an opportunity now this summer, but next summer to go over. Some of us go over to this village to see what's going on. But we want to begin the process right now. And again, I want to bring us back to why do we do this? Come back to verse 17 of our passage. When they saw him, these are people that had walked with Jesus for three years. It says they worshiped him. They realized this is the risen Christ. Worship is to give him his life. He is worth it. So don't do this because you're being manipulated. Don't do this because you're Do it because you think Jesus is worth it. Being involved with this moves his name, his reputation forward. Last thought, and I'll invite these guys up. Um, we live over in Waterford Estates, 95th and Holdridge. 
We moved in there in 2016. And about a couple years in, they started building a fire station down at 98th and 0, which is, would be the south exit uh, we go to, to go into town. And, you know, that, that's taxpayer money. That, that costs something. And once in a while, when we go out, we head out, we got to stop because the emergency vehicles are going. You know, when the lights are on, you, you pull over. But, you know, in the moment, it's frustrating. But, but I'm glad people are going out from this fire station. That's why we as a taxpayer put money there. You know, it'd be a bad deal if we put money into it. And, and these folks just never went out. They got an emergency, but they were, you know, their favorite program was on Netflix or they were drinking coffee and they just, they just didn't go out. You would have failed at your mission. Church, God has put himself in here. Not that we'd be a culture of not that we don't, that we go out. To do what? To make disciples. Where? All over the world. I trust that we're bought into that individually and corporately. And we want to partner with people that are doing the same thing. So with that being said, I invite Landon to come on up. Hey, everyone. So like he said, I am Landon, not Logan. Uh, Landon Bartell. I started working with the Hope Venture uh, this last September as the development coordinator. And uh, I just, before we tell you more about the story of the Hope Venture, I wanted to share a little bit of my story of how I got involved and uh, how important it is for us to, like he was saying, commit to our process of being part of uh, making disciples. Because just as much as we may go and make disciples with others, when we step into opportunities like this, Jesus is discipling us as well. It, it's for our opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness, in our generosity or in our uh, giftedness, uh, that this is a great opportunity to make disciples uh, overseas and within us. And so it's, when I first heard of Hope Venture, it was I was part of Lincoln Brain's college ministry uh, as a freshman, and we did a thing called the Restoration Project, and uh, it was basically this idea of even college students can give money. And so we collected money throughout the semester and then donated it to a different cause or a different thing uh, each year. And my freshman year, it was for the Hope Venture. And so we donated it. Uh, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was really just a great time to celebrate and say, we're doing something together. This, this is changing lives. And uh, through the years, I continued to hear about the Hope Venture more and more. And I actually had the opportunity to go over to India and see some of the projects that we helped fund during that restoration project and during various other times. And so uh, when I went there and I saw the lives that were being changed, um, the, the students that were given supplies to, to get an education, or uh, the, students that, the, the kids that were given a meal uh, consistent meal to eat every day, um, or the the mothers that were being trained in sewing or vocation vocational training, uh, so that they could pro provide for their family and their friend or for their family and their kids to uh, sur survive. It's when it hit me that that is beautiful. Those are the th the opportunities that we want to seek to grow in as. A church and as a, as a community, and so uh, that uh, I came back from India, and it was just a great opportunity to jump into doing something with my people, with my my community. And so uh, there was a group of roommates uh, 
that I had. There were eight of us in one house. I know it was a lot, but we made it work. And we said, we want to do something. We want to participate in God working to restore these lives. Um, and so we, we put together a fundraiser, and we, we did it over uh, a month, and we ended up raising $6,000 for the GOAT project in Kenya. And we got to celebrate. And, but the whole value of it for us was that we were able to see we are part of what God is doing in these lives overseas. Uh, like Andy was saying, it's easy to have this idea of just writing a check and, and sending it off. But when we choose to participate and say, I'll, I'll give what I have, whether it's talent or treasure or giftedness, we get to participate in that beautiful restoration of God's kingdom. So that's then uh, just recently I, I got to come on staff with Hope Venture and, and it's been a huge blessing. And being able to see the restoration of God's kingdom has really inspired me to want to partner with communities like you, like North Point, and that's why we're so excited to be here, that you all together can have impact and can have uh, change to restore lives and bring people hope and dignity uh, in some of the most disadvantaged opportunities so that they can find and know Christ in this time. So that's a little bit of, of my story and how just choosing to take a step impacted me. Uh, you're going to hear some of our story, meaning the Hope Ventures story and how, that, how it started. And then since he's going to share with you how you can participate and this can become your story as well. So check out this video to learn more. Moments. Perhaps simply just segments of time, slices out of the collective whole of life. Yet perhaps they are what build, what create, what shape the future. This world can be a harsh place. I remember walking through the streets of India, seeing children living in trash heaps. The stench was overwhelming and the flies were swarming. I remember driving down long dusty roads through the barren lands of Kenya only to arrive at an isolated home made of stick and mud, meeting parents who needed to provide for their children but just couldn't. And I remember one moment stepping onto a train in southern India. Looking out the window, I saw a mom, and I was a mom. She walked with her three kids and stopped next to a murky puddle. I watched her reach down and scoop dirty water, serving them one by one. It broke my heart, it still does. What if that was all I had to give to my kids? It was just a moment, but it changed me forever. Hi, my name is Cincy. I grew up in upstate New York, the youngest of six kids. And I was a nice person, my friends told me I was nice, I thought I was nice, but when I was 21, I encountered this God who was pursuing me and lavishing me with this incredible and amazing love. And he swept me off my feet. And I know this doesn't make sense to everybody, but a deep, deep love began to grow in me, much more than just being nice. Over the next 20 years, my husband and I met people, we read, we traveled, we learned, and we saw some of the most devastating circumstances we could imagine. Things that weren't fair. Some of the poorest people in the world, the uneducated, the hungry, the sexually mistreated, the orphan, the widow, the hurting. Meanwhile, God was burdening me to care, to behave compassionately, 
to not say come back tomorrow, but today to respond to the needs around me while I have the opportunity. And it was teaching me that I had something to offer. And so in 2009, I just said, okay, that's it really. God was leading. I was just a normal person taking the next step into that moment of opportunity. The Hope Venture began as a burden to simply respond and bring whatever we could to the table. And what could we bring? Something different. A compliment to efforts already being made. Years of trusted relationships with local, national leaders who would lead out in India, Kenya, and Uganda. Tangible opportunities that anyone could help with. Transparency and integrity so you would know right where your money is going. A background in education, a plea to improve health, and a fun, generous culture that would be created to bring hope and dignity to the most disadvantaged people in the world. We got advice, and we read how to start a nonprofit for dummies. We formed a board, we hired lawyers, and we launched a 501c3 nonprofit. We got furniture donated, and my friend let us use her basement for five years to help us keep costs down. We scribbled names and ideas out on napkins and sticky notes. We drank coffee, we Skyped, we prayed, and more and more people started to become us. We're based in Lincoln, Nebraska, with people from over 30 states and with trusted leaders from overseas. We are teachers, baristas, toothless third graders, broke college kids, soccer moms, and hotel owners. We have a unique 100% financial model that never takes a percentage of your project donations for administrative use, and we value people and restore dignity to those who can't find it. Today, God is still leading. We have made it our regular practice to fall before Him and seek Him to listen and respond to His call. We are helping educate and train thousands of people in India, Kenya, and Uganda. We're bringing clean water and food to those who desperately need it. It's simply a practice of stepping into the moments we have to help lives find hope. We believe moments are what build, what create, and what shape the future. We invite you to join that adventure. Let's help lives find hope together. Well, good morning. My name is Cincy, and I do run the Hope Venture. I've lived here in Lincoln now for over 20 years, and this is my home and uh, started the Hope Venture about 12 years ago. But I think the last time I was on the stage I was remembering this morning was when I got my face pied at the end of VBS. Um, that little girl was here downstairs. I don't know if she's in the room now, but my eye is out there. Um, but we have uh, known, I've known Andy and Hope for quite a while. In fact, uh, my husband and I, came on staff with crew, and he was on staff with crew in uh, Fort Collins, actually, before that little church he was talking about in Arizona. And then here, my husband's a pastor at Lincoln Berean, and um, yeah, so we've been here a long time and have known of North Point. I uh, have been in touch with Andy for quite a few years about how to maybe partner together at some point, and um, have been trying to figure out what, what God would do to bring us together. And um, it's just exciting to think about how God does work because there's certain timings, there's certain people, 
Um, even some of you, you know, I remember when North Point was launched out of Lincoln Berean, and uh, some of my friends came here to launch this church, and look at where you are now and what's happening in and through North Point community. And I think uh, right now we have something really unique and special because uh, we're going to start something here this morning. Got started the hour before you, and it's going to continue starting today. Um, so that's my uh, goal to tell you about. The, at the Hope Venture, we help, um, like he said, some of the most disadvantaged people in the world, namely those living on less than $1.90 a day, those in extreme poverty. And um, most of those people are overseas in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And the Hope Venture works in India, Kenya, Uganda, Madagascar, and Rwanda and, uh, and is growing. God's favor has been on us, and we've worked with the same partners for, I've known some of these guys, especially in India, for over 20 years. I, my husband and I travel there quite a bit. And uh, about two years ago, as we see God using us, and especially when COVID happened and extreme poverty for the first time in 20 years took a rise, we started to say, God, how else would you want to use us? And we've really actually kind of resisted making new partnerships only in the sense that there's enough work with who we had. They were just overwhelmed by all the, the needs that there are. And yet, just sensed God saying, hey, keep going. Keep moving in towards this poverty. And so we value our partners. We really trust our overseas partners. And to do that, we know to vet new partnerships, it's going to take time. We really need to take our time slowly, start to do some small things with people. So we got connected. We have a strong partnership in uh, Narok, Kenya, and uh, he had a friend in Turkana, Kenya, and who has some big needs. And he'd asked me for years, could we do something? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's a two-hour bus ride, and, you know, I don't know. If we, I mean, not two hours, sorry, two-day bus ride. And we just don't have anything going there, and... I don't know, but when this all started happening, uh, I said, "All right, I'll I'll meet I'll meet this person." And so a guy named Arus Jackson, E R U S, Arus Jackson, who's a pastor in Turkana, made the two-day bus ride to come to Nairobi to meet me. And genuine guy, huge needs, some of the biggest poverty I've heard of. And so I said, "All right, I'll I'll." Uh, I'll do some COVID relief, a small, we did about a $1,000 project with him, and I'll come see in the summer how that went, and whatever, this was last summer, last, about a year ago I met him, and then last summer I went to Turkana, and uh, you guys, this is what I do, po poverty is what I work with, and so I've seen some of the biggest slums in the world, I've, for whatever reason, I've been around a lot of poverty, because just, that's where God landed me, but when I went to Turkana, I, I was expecting poverty, but I was again struck with, oh, my word. Like, so these people, like, they're on the cover. This is Alice, who I met last, last summer. She's on our cover. Their project, there's no project in our catalog about her because you guys are going to take that on. But Alice is in the front here. And Alice met me, and several people met me, but... Uh, I was talking with Alice, and her children were sitting outside of a hut like that, and they were, they had this thing that's like maybe a size of a baseball, and they were just pounding it. Just over and over. And I'm like, what are they doing? And this was like a, it's called a pine nut, 
and it would break open, and inside would be, it was drought season, so maybe not as moist as it normally is, but like this shredded, weedy kind of thing on the inside, and they would take a bite of it. And so they had me take a bite of it, and it's like dust. I mean, it's just like not something good to eat, but that was the only thing they were eating. That They didn't have in the back of their hut a little storage of a bag of rice or anything. In fact, our COVID relief had been to give them some food, and uh, we decided, all right, we'll give $1,000 towards some food to a, a limited number of families, and that should last them a couple weeks. We'll just try this out. Well, when I came in the summer, I realized it didn't last a couple weeks. It lasted one day. Because when they got food, it was like rain coming on the community. I mean, they gathered their friends. They gathered the whole community. Food has come to this village. Like, it was rice. It was cooking oil. They didn't even have oil to cook the rice. I mean, they didn't have anything. And I'm going back to a hotel somewhere later and having a meal. And meanwhile, I'm looking at these kids in this family that are pounding enough for breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever they want to eat. It is the pine nut. I'm like, oh, Lord. I don't know why I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't know why I have this. But here we are, and we have an opportunity because we are starting to build a relationship with Arus Jackson. And you need leadership to help. You can't just throw money somewhere. So you need to have a relationship, and we're starting to build this. And you know what? Jared Harms is reaching out to me saying, hey, could North Point Community Church do something? And I said, I don't know. I Roos wants to do something with me, but I don't know how we're going to do it. He wants to educate kids so they can, these kids are not getting the schooling they need. They can't afford even to go to high school. They're dropping out before high school because there you have to kind of go to a boarding school a little bit just to have the education you need. It's, it's public, but it's boarding, so it costs more money. Everybody drops out around high school age. He said, we want to get these kids educated. We want to get them getting jobs, and we want to get them making some money for their families and get out of this poverty. And so we actually, after that trip, did a couple more COVID reliefs with him, but we're trying to listen to our partners and their solution. And they're saying, we want to educate these kids. Please help us. And Jared's saying to me, North Point wants to help. We want to do something. And I'm like, we have, we have a sponsorship project, like a one-on-one -on -one relationship with our other partner in Kenya. And that's growing. I don't know if we can take on more. And Jared's like, we got this. We want to grow with this community. We want to take it on. If our people will get behind us, we want to do it. And so I said, okay, okay, Jared, let's talk to the people and let's, let's talk to Andy and let's figure this out. And so we are very much in the beginning stages of this. Like I said, it takes leadership. And you know what? Irus got in a bad motorcycle accident about a month ago and then he got sick. Uh, for the last two weeks, he's been in and out of sickness. In fact, since I've known him, I think he's had malaria twice. I've only known him a year. Um, and uh, at the same time we got to know him, we got to know one other friend of our partners, and he's passed away now, this other guy. I think they endure so much health issues and so much. Like, I'm praying the guy lives. I'm praying the guy, he's, he's partnering with, like, nine different pastors in the area. I'm not trying to tell you he's on his deathbed. He's not on his deathbed. But he, I mean, I don't imagine what those, these guys live through. And so he's partnering with nine different pastors in the area say, can you help us reach the kids of our community, give them an education, help them make some changes in their life and overcome some of this poverty? And so we're going to try to sponsor, and we're going to start small. You guys, we're going to watch this grow with you guys and with Turkana. 
Okay, this is North Point and Turkana doing this. Like I said, Alice is on the front of our catalog, but there's nothing about this project on our website right now or anywhere. North Point's got this project, okay? So what's gonna happen is we're gonna have a sponsorship where you sponsor, we're gonna do high school age because that's the biggest need right now. Um, sometimes they can afford to do a little bit in elementary ages, but the fees get really high at high school. So then, and I was adding it up, again, we're, we're in the process of creating a 20-page plan of how this is going to work, but I added up the numbers. This is our most expensive sponsorship yet because there's higher transportation costs and there's uh, higher supplies that the kids need to get ready to get into that school. So it's going to be $70 a month. And let me tell you something about the Hope Venture. 100% of what you give to that project goes straight to that project. So I'm not trying to beef up, get 70 bucks so I can get 20 of it or something like that. 70 bucks goes to Turkana a month, okay? So 100% landing salary, my salary, this catalog, a video, it gets paid for a totally separate way. 100% of what you give to any of our projects will go straight to that project. So if you can't do $70 a month and you're sitting here thinking, they're gonna ask what of us? Think about it this way. We are gonna change the lives of kids in Turkana and then that whole community of Turkana. We're gonna do different projects along the way. He wants, we trust our locals that they know the solution best and we're working with them first on some education stuff with them. You can split. We have some different sponsorships where five college kids will split a uh, sponsorship and they'll each do a little bit and go together to influence one kid's life. Um, maybe you wanna split it 35 and 35. Why don't you, maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm doing two kids. I'm doing three because we have people that do eight kids. <laughs> Another project that we have. Like, how do you even juggle? I'm like at four and I, I, okay, that's all I can manage or whatever, just and mentally and emotionally. But maybe you're thinking, I, I have been blessed. I live here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm not wondering where my next meal is coming from. I can help these guys. I'm a student. I, I want other students to have a chance. I, I can make a difference. We have students that give to us monthly. I mean, it's crazy. It, it doesn't, you don't have to grow up to change a life, you know? You can be young to change a life. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can do something. And so we just want to encourage you. North Point, if you want to be involved, the ways to be involved would be, one, sign up in the back just to know about Turkana. We want to make, like, a North Point Turkana team where you can... Uh, just be aware of the needs, be praying for us, be praying for Turkana, be praying for Arus. So just give us your name and contact so we can let you know some prayer requests. Be aware, be the North Point Turkana team. Secondly, if you know today, I want to sponsor. Because Arus has been sick, we don't have the photos and the names for you today. But you can give us, it's, we're hoping to start April 1st. So you can give us your name and contact, even credit card info today, and we'll let you know that student. It'll be a one-on-one -on -one relationship. You'll get a magnet, a welcome packet. You'll hear their story. Um, you can write letters. But maybe you want to sign up today. Say, so count me in. I'm at North Point. We're doing this together. We want to impact this community. Count me in. You can, you can fill that out now. You can have us contact you later. Whatever you want to do. This project is starting today. And you guys are making it happen. Come change the world with us. We'd love to have you be a part. Thanks. So, you guys, just to follow up, 
what we're asking you to do, and we're talking as a staff, we're talking as an elder board, this is where we want to go. Christ in our community, we're doing that in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd like to take that around the world, but particularly to Turkana, Kenya. So would you consider sponsoring a child? And so you, would you go back there and talk to these guys at the uh, Spotlight booth? They'll be right back here. Maybe you think I can do half a child. Maybe I, I'm, I, I just want to hear about it. But would you, would you connect with them? Because as a church, we want to own this thing. We want to go. We, wanna, we just believe that um, God wants us caring. Yes, about Lincoln. Absolutely. But our world. Make disciples of all nations. And we view this as a, as a chance to step into that process. So would you perfectly consider that? Go back there and talk to them. Um, see how you can be involved together, all of us involved in, in uh, changing this village to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and they will close us. So Lord, uh, we're mindful that uh, you have called us to make disciples all over the world. And uh, we want to take that seriously. And we want to start here in our context, our friends, our family, our, our, our people. Uh, but we realize uh, you, you want to take that all over the world, and, and there are huge needs. And, and you've talked about, you care about the vulnerable. You made it very clear with Israel. You, you take care of the widow. You take care of the orphan. If you don't, you give offense to me. Well, we want to be involved in, in taking just our little piece of, of a, a world that is, is, is broken in poverty, because I think it would reflect you well. So, Lord, lead us in that. I pray we would uh, be generous. And I pray we'd make a difference. You'd uh, multiply. You said you've got all authority. Uh, we go in that authority, and we do what we do in your authority. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.